Art Next Door Prepared by Tuche Ela Art Next Door features the independent art scene in Neukölln and Berlin. Free scene Community-based art Socially engaged artistic practice Artist-led project spaces Collectives Emerging and young artists. News and interviews will be broadcast in Arts Next Door on Keith FM. Thank you so much, Howard, for accepting my interview request. For a long time, I didn't have a chance to meet anyone in person since uh, October, so it is nice to be outside and in the fresh air. And today we're talking about Dada Post, and then I have Howard with me. Thank you. Could you start telling us uh, who you are, uh, your artistic practice, and how long have you been in Berlin? Uh, I'm a sculptor. I'm uh, from the U.S. I uh, lived in New York City for many for a few decades, and then I uh, left New York and I went back to California where I grew up and for two years, and then I came to Berlin in 2007 to research it because I heard uh, that it was affordable and that the artists were moving here. So I spent three months here in 2007, and during that time I found my the place I have and then I came back in uh, 2008. I established Dada Post, but we spent the first year uh, renovating the galleries and things like that. So 2008, you found Dada Post already around north of Prenzlauerbeck, or have you changed the location? No, it's only had one location. Mm -hmm. So our first exhibition was in 2009. And since then, you have been organizing exhibitions and then hosting artists. But how you actually arrange and uh, organize things? Is there also people around you who are helping or is it mostly you are focusing with the programming? Originally, we, we, were, uh, we had a typical gallery program, mixing group exhibitions with one-person exhibitions. And, and today, we have a gallery director. Her name is Sheena Malone. And we have a, uh, another person who's sort of uh, an assistant, but who has been with us the whole time. And his name is Marcel Hager. And he had a gallery here in Mitte. He's one of the first galleries here in Mitte after uh, uh, the wall came down. And uh, he's an excellent uh, curator. And, and some of the artists we have shown were artists in his gallery. And they're very good artists. You have this amazing archive on the website from the very beginning actually it is already it has some manifestation of the history but i'm a little bit more curious about this project spaces how they have started and how they evolved within time because that's why i like this interview uh medium because it's much more intimate and more open-hearted because in general when you look at the websites you see like a one or two paragraphs of uh, explanation about the project space but i'm more curious about the struggles challenges and rewards that you have been uh, experiencing throughout this more than 10 year of uh, practice in the project space well for me uh, i my focus is mostly my art practice and uh, the work I do with the gallery is not necessarily an, an extension of my art practice, but 
It has to do with the way I use the space. I th uh, because I'm a sculptor and I grew up in a warm climate in California, I like to work outside. So one of the reasons I, we have the, the place we have is because it has a large yard. So not only can we exhibit outdoor sculptures, but I can also work outside uh, when the weather is good or, or if I have to work in bad weather, I can just do it. And it's all enclosed, so it's all a very private space. And there's, the only problem with it is noise restrictions for the neighbors if I'm using big power tools. But uh, the exhibition space, if I was a painter, I would probably be using it as a studio. But since I'm a sculptor, I can, I can devote that space to the gallery. And then we also have a large uh, freezer that was part of the uh, original property, which was a fish smoking factory. And, we, and, it, and it's a really a, a wonderful space with no skylights or anything. So we, we do video installations in that space. So we have a video installation space, we have a, a sculpture court, and we have uh, two indoor galleries. Uh, what were the challenges of running such a large scale of space, also as an atelier and also as a public space? Well, the biggest challenge is uh, energy uh, and, and the amount of work it takes. Uh, and also uh, the culture here is much different than in New York City. So if I had a place like this in New York City, uh, there would be volunteers there all the time. But this, this culture doesn't attract that. And uh, I think part of the reason for that is New York City, not just New York City, but the United States is an entrepreneurial culture. So uh, the economy is, is dependent on people taking initiatives to start new things like I did when I started the gallery. Here in Berlin, it's a mix, uh, mixture of, of West and East culture. You know, uh, West Germany is here and also East Germany is still here. You know, and there's still a lot of Eastern Europeans here who were conditioned under the communist system. So uh, their culture is different than the West Germans. And, and of course, Germany itself has a unique hit, uh, culture and history. But the biggest problem is, uh, is the amount of work it takes and the fact that the gallery doesn't produce income. Because it's not profit and then you're not trying to sell the artworks that you're presenting? Or is it just not, you don't get public money, any kind of funding? Well, public funding is quite difficult to get uh, for um, people like myself. But I don't have, I, I, I would have to quit my art practice to, do, to devote time to turn the gallery into a for-profit space. That, that, that would have to be done full-time, I believe. And uh, I'm not going to give up my art practice. So I run it as a, as a non-for-profit and uh, as a community engagement space. Because uh, I've shown a few hundred artists since uh, I'm in, in Berlin. Uh, then it's beyond those challenges, of course, it has a lot of rewards than just having those connection with different artists from different backgrounds should be the reward but what else would you tell that what kind of rewards you had throughout this experience of sharing the space because you're sharing the space with guests so you are kind of a host in that space I guess. Yes I'm a host. <laughs> uh, through the gallery I, I met uh, some other people who have galleries. I first met the, uh, the Colony Vetting Group and uh, I have a few good friends who, in that group who have galleries. Yeah, so there's an organization in, Ber in Berlin of, of project spaces, so we're a member of that. And uh, then are you also um, trying to adjust your 
program during the colony weddings weekends because they used to have just like every last Friday. No, every last weekend was a colony wedding before the COVID-19, of course. Uh, no, because although they're not far away, uh, we're not close enough. So we are have an independent program. Mm -hmm. Is there any regular program that you try to plan throughout the year? Of course, we're talking about the pre-COVID times, <laughs> uh, but was it more like an organic or is it more structured that you have certain amount of exhibitions per year or is just happening gradually? Both. Both. Uh, in the beginning, it was a typical gallery, structured gallery program with certain number of exhibitions. I uh, had to make adjustments as I learned Berlin, the Berlin art scene. But I, uh, I was also not ha satisfied with the typical gallery exhibition uh, pro type of program uh, because I didn't think it generated new ideas. And I have been a college professor since around 1973. And, uh, and I've taught at some really important art schools in the United States. So not only did I have a familiarity with young artists, uh, I also have an understanding of, of art history and some very important venues in Western art history. Uh, the first one being the Cabaret Voltaire, which uh, I think we can say is where Dada was born. And then second would be uh, Andy Warhol's factory in New York City, which was a gathering place for uh, artists and musicians and actors, all kinds of creative people. And a lot of new art came out of that. So I have uh, an interest in and new art, not just doing exhibitions. So the last couple of years, we've been uh, experimenting uh, with different types of programs. Uh, in 2009, we had a, a season-long residency with a group of artists, and we called them the Incubator Group. So they had the gallery for the entire season, and it was a, a, a they were uh, they were uh, they didn't really understand what to do in the beginning, but towards the end, they they understood that, that they could control the space. And they were all under 35-year-old artists, some in their late 20s, some 30. And so then they started uh, e uh, evolving some, uh, some interesting programs uh, where they were feeding off of each other and, uh, and also creating art in the space and in the exhibitions. And then that same group uh, came back for the 2020 season. For the 2021 season, uh, I haven't yet decided what we're going to do. But I'm leaning towards another kind of innovative approach, uh, not just to exhibit art, but to uh, push art in a way that might speak about the next generation. How the lockdown impact on the program? Well, it hasn't, uh, it's, the impact is mostly financial, mostly economic. We don't do exhibitions in the winter anymore uh, because I'm 73 years old now and, and uh, the yard is quite large for me to have to keep cleaning the yard out for the exhibitions and and you know I decided that I didn't want to do that kind of work. So we uh, our exhibition schedule runs from uh, spring to autumn. And, uh, we close down for the winter just to eliminate that labor. But I mean, if you were able to have some uh, volunteers around you, would you be able to continue? You think that you can have it? Or is it just also complicated for you to um, I, I, outsource I, that? I'm not going to have exhibitions in the winter anymore. 
but um, volunteers uh, it would be nice to have volunteers that could who who could be integrated into a, a innovative program so that they wouldn't just come and just work for nothing they would just come and contribute to something that they could be a part of but again uh, the culture here doesn't support that true I mean I did my master's in, in the UK and uh, it was already a problem when I was there in 2014-15 and then it was already a little bit problematic to have the free labor of volunteers in gallery spaces and exhibition spaces in which they can afford for. But then it's not always that galleries or spaces can afford, especially if they're a non-profit. And then here I think there's even much more complicated that I also see that yeah, it's almost impossible to employ volunteers for free. But then at the same time, for a project space like this, if you need extra help, how you can really afford for this, if you're already paying the rent and then allowing artists to use it, it is a bit tricky. Yeah, but if I did evolve a volunteer structured program, they would benefit from the, from the program itself and they would not get credits as a student, they would, be, they would get professional credits. You know, it would go into their CV as professional activity and hopefully contribute to something good for them in the future. I mean, me, uh, as a person who is not a native German speaker, I'm also kind of sometimes having issues to understand the bureaucracy and then cultural scene and all this, like a public funding. I'm still learning and then actually I'm learning by doing. <laughs> How was your experience in this, uh, well, in this uh, situation? Naturally, uh, every, the different countries have, have are, are unique in their own ways, you know, and culturally. I find Germany to be very bureaucratic and something as a person from the United States is not really used to. I'm just not really used to people being in, in my life to this extent. You know, it seems like uh, they know what hand you scratch your ass with here, you know? I mean, they just control everything. <laughs> and in the United States, you generally don't have to deal with bureaucrats. You know, usually you only deal with them on the level of, of, a, of a clerk level. You know, you, you go to a, 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 an office and you, you want to register my name, Dada Post. And in the United States, it took uh, 30 minutes. Filled out the paper, they looked at the paper, the paper was correct, paid them $200 and it was done. What happened here? It took two years here, and it cost over 2,000 euros. Wow. But the, the funniest thing about it, from a cultural point of view, you have to talk to the bureaucrats here. You can't just hand in your paperwork. Yeah. <laughs> you, have to have, you have to have a conversation with them. So they make up stuff to talk about. For example, they didn't know the word post and data post was the English word after. They thought it was like post office. And, and I, didn't, I didn't think of that myself. I got the idea from the bureaucrats, and I thought, oh, wow, I like that. The Dada Post Office. <laughs> <laughs> so Dada Post has three meanings, right? Yeah. Dada Post Office, uh, postmodern, yeah, you, know, exactly. it, you know. And so the bureaucrats contributed that, that point of view. But then they said, uh, well, if we give you the exclusive rights to the name, nobody else can use it. Well, that's why I want it. But they just have to say something because that's the way they work here. You have to talk to them. You have to have person-to-person -person contact with the bureaucrats here. Yeah, and if you meet people from the business class who are, are used to that culture, they're very good at talking to bureaucrats. 
yeah but if you're not a native speaker it's always complicated to have that conversation level no i mean for me it's i will not be able to have that conversation in my first couple of years <laughs> and then i'm still not sure if i can really well just keep in mind that you have to do it so then you know to try yeah exactly it's important no no it's really valuable information yeah so it's very so if you have to talk to a bureaucrat about something important you you, you want to hopefully meet up with somebody who's in a good mood that day <laughs> <That's> <laughs> and so who's true. a nice person <laughs> this was also about it for outstanding behind that though <laughs> for the foreigners office as well i mean if they're not in the mood uh oh you don't have your renewal if you're off your visa <laughs> on that day sorry so you, you don't know what you're going to get you know it could be a very friendly meeting it could be a very difficult meeting because something happened to the person that morning <laughs> yeah so so on one level you can say it's very human yeah it is <laughs> but good that we can laugh about it. Well, sometimes it's funny, like the data post office is funny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then when he says, if we give it to you, nobody else can use it. Well, I understand that's just con extending the conversation. The person's not stupid. <laughs> it's just extending the conversation. Yeah. So you learn little things like that. <laughs> mm, it's true. <laughs> So you said you haven't uh, decided how to proceed in 2021 with the structures, but at least you know that you will not have anything until spring. Well, this is March, so spring begins this, mar this month. So you want to continue with the incubator program uh, in the future as well? Um, no, because some of the, the people are moving on to other things. But you can maybe do an open call and then invite more new blood to the incubator system and then it could be maybe ongoing changing system or is it just well it's not necessary to do an open call for me because i have some friends who are professors so i usually ask them to rec recommend people who might be interested yeah. and i always get enough so i have a professor a friend who's a professor in, in dresden one here in berlin and one in norway and uh, where else uh, some people in poland so I, 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 go, I go through, I consult people who have contacts with young people because my focus with these innovative programs are the younger artists. And uh, during those incubator programs, I'm curious, um, because you mentioned that you have a teaching background. So, uh, and uh, how was this exchange between you and the incubator group, learning together or just doing things together? How was that experience? Well, the most important thing I learned was the difference between this younger generation and, 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 and my culture when I was their age. I got my first teaching job at age 25. I think that's impossible today. So I, I, I learned to understand the difficulty that, that these young people have in establishing their careers. It, it was much easier for people my generation to do things. And uh, I also learned that uh, yeah, it's difficult for people today. But at the same time, I think more things are easier for the new generation to access the knowledge, to access the resources. Well, then, the but it's always a matter of luck. <laughs> I think the luck is always... A uh, luck is very important. <laughs> How many artists are there in Berlin now? I don't know. Thousands. More I than 10,000 maybe? I think there's like 6,000 in New York City now. I think it was registered 7,000 when I was visiting 2012 and my friends were that there's like registered 7,000 artists but I don't think that it is that low now.
when Andy Warhol was a young artist, maybe there was 200 artists in New York City, you know, so, and uh, I remember when I moved to New York City in 1977, we had one restaurant we would all go to, and, and every, the art world was small enough that we could have just one main spot where we would go and eat and drink. And so we also had less competition for things. These young artists today are, are in a sea of artists. And like you say, a, a lot of luck is required in that situation. We, we were not in a sea of artists. Some of the uh, generations of artists older than me were, were very small groups. You can't know everybody anymore, you know? That has to be, um, that is definitely more difficult. So I gained that kind of sensitivity. Well, before we wrap up our interview, is there anything that you would like to add and then say maybe a question that I missed but you want to tell about the post? I would just uh, reiterate that uh, because I'm not a painter, I can devote the, the, the gallery space to exhibitions for and share the space with other artists. I can do that because it doesn't interfere with my practice. And I can use the space during downtimes anyway, so when I need to use it, I can use it. But I'm, I'm kind of proud uh, that the gallery has, has established itself. And I was just thinking in the, in the recent weeks that it's a real institution. You start things, you try things, and sometimes they work, sometimes they don't, and then things exist for a period of time. But I think uh, Dada Post's reputation is going to live on. I, f I feel that. We'll see if it's true or not, but I feel that. Thank you so much for your time. Well, thank you. If you like my podcast series, you can support and buy me a coffee. Buymeacoffee.com slash Tuche. T-U-C-E. See you in the next episode. Bye. Art Next Door, prepared by Tuche Eran. Art Next Door is a monthly radio show on Heat FM and a podcast series at Anchor FM.